Rodgers returns, sometimes the best players don't play, and our underdog matchups of the week. Welcome to Saturday Morning Inspection, where we inspect the hot topics of the football world. Nick, you made it back. I'm glad to have you here. How's it going? Glad to be here. Uh, excited for week one. I got to say, uh, probably not as excited as Urban Meyer is, knowing that he's about to join the ranks of no longer being undefeated, head to a long season of uh, losing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, it's going to be tough for him, but, you know, nonetheless, it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. Uh, we got a lot of calls last week. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, people were wondering, what is a Saturday morning inspection. So uh, I didn't know how to tell them. It's uh, something that goes back to our school days. You want to explain a little? Sure. So uh, a Saturday morning inspection was something we had to do at our college where Saturday mornings, uh, the cadets, the students, had to put on dress uniforms, uh, clean up their rooms, and present themselves for senior ranking members to inspect and criticize and tell them everything they did wrong. Go through all your valuables, tell you, uh, you know, how they would have done it better. Exactly. Every little thing is criticized. Uh, you got the you true white glove treatment. Exactly. They put that glove and there's some dust there. You never, you always heard about it. But surprisingly, I would say we did pretty good. Um, yeah, especially, especially since uh, thanks to football, I didn't have to be there yes. 90% of the time. Nick had football also on Saturdays, and the highlight of my inspections were they couldn't inspect his drawers, so I could just shove all of my stuff that I didn't want out in the room in his drawers. So like a little uh, treasure chest. But um, I we digress. Call it a game plan right there. <laughs> yes, it's all planned, all part of the plan. All right. Um, are you ready to get into our first segment? Yep. Let's get right after it. All right. I think this is kind of like uh, breaking news headlines of the week heading in. Um, first up, we have Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love in Green Bay. What do you got on them? Yeah. So I think the the biggest issue with the whole Rodgers thing this whole off season was the lack of just support, right, that Green Bay has for him. I mean, I, I I did some digging and, you know, the, the big gripe we always hear about is that the Packers don't draft a lot of skilled players around. Well, it, it's actually when you compare it to like Brady or Breeze, it's a similar number. I think it's about one every three or four years they draft a guy in the top two rounds, whether it was Brady with New England, Breeze with New Orleans or Rodgers with Green Bay. But the big thing, right, and I think this is where Rodgers gets really frustrated, is the lack of veteran free agent help. Yeah, I mean. I think we all know Brady got the, uh, the Moss Welker, you know, they traded for Muhammad Sanu a few years ago, even if it didn't work out. I mean, they got, he still, still did. I am bitter about Muhammad Sanu knowing that he was a high school quarterback. He, he hit us with a couple trick play touchdowns uh, against Baltimore. So he, I'd say he's pretty, he wasn't that bad. Yeah. I mean, he's a good solid player, but I, I, I guess when you look at who green Bay brought in, I think the, uh, the only big free agent they brought in, I think, was Graham, Jimmy Graham. And I think his worst years were with Green Bay. He was already washed up by then. And I think that's where Rodgers' big frustration came from, right, is they're not bringing in the free agent guys. And so what do they do in the draft? They don't even attack the draft any harder. And not only do they not go after any harder, they draft Jordan Love. Yeah, and they not only who they didn't bring in, but who did they kick out? You know, uh, uh, Jordy Nelson left yep. uh they didn't really no. want to bring him back randall cobb left uh, a couple of his guys and they and they went on to be relatively serviceable in the nfl a jordy kind of retired but randall cobb i think he went to dallas for a while and he's he was all right he's a good player yeah i mean he still is productive i mean they're not cutting stars because they're not getting stars they have to keep the quality players right it's that's what i think hurts rogers is that he has to constantly throw to seventh round draft picks. Yeah. Right. Who, I mean, who's this guy? Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Was he ever going to be a player if I wasn't throwing him the ball? I don't think so. No. And, and he knows it, right? He knows it and the organization knows it, especially he, he what probably makes him more frustrated is to think Jordan Love has basically stunk 
you know, his first two years going on his second year through the preseason in the league. And Rodgers has gotten an MVP. Yeah. And, you know, Rodgers can look around and practice and say, all right, you know, look at this guy as a first round pick with the same players I'm playing with and look at me with those players. It's just night and day, you know, with Jordan Love, he knows they're a five win team. And with him, they got a chance to win a championship. And I think he, he feels like the, the organization isn't respecting him with the time and resources to help get him there the way like Tampa did with Brady. Or oh, yeah. Moore. They give him the royal treatment. Oh, yeah. And oh. I think he wanted uh, his big gripe was that he wanted more communication between him and the front office on the decision making. He did come out and say, I don't know if this was, you know, uh, puff piece to, you know, make sure everything was, you know, okie dokie before the season started. But they did. He did say there was better communication. Um, he did come out and say that comment where they said, don't be the problem. No one actually told him that. So we'll see how it goes this season, I guess. Uh, is he truly unhappy? Is he ready to go? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think with him, I think he's honestly, I'm just, I think this is his last year. I think he wants to go out, go out and, and see what other organizations can provide him. I, I think he also is smart enough, I and mean, we all know Rogers is a smart guy, that being a locker room negative or an organizational negative doesn't help his chance to win this year. Because he, he still wants to win a championship with Green Bay. He wants to win in Green Bay. Yeah. So I think he's saying the right things now, right? It's sort of like, you know, kind of, you know, if you, if you, you know, ever we're going to leave a job or, or break up with somebody, right? That kind of three month window before, you know, you, you know, you kind of start smoothing things out and you kind of clear the pastures to make sure there's, you know, try not to burn too many bridges. I kind of think that's what Rogers is doing right now. Yeah. Like, uh, Rogers wasn't that bad. He's, he's helpful. Yeah. But, um, next up, I think we got, uh, Zach Wilson on the list. Uh, really is, does he have the stuff? There's been some articles out there saying that he does have the stuff, uh, important to us. We'll see him this weekend. So that'll be exciting. We, we'll give you our firsthand account of the Zach Wilson experience this weekend. Oh yeah. Uh, I personally, I've seen some good throws from him. We've seen some good stuff from him playing at BYU. I don't know if he went up against the toppest of top tier competition uh, he had some good stats. He made it pretty far in Heisman voting. Um, he lost to Coastal Carolina. Uh, they lost to Liberty. I know that personally because I live here. But, uh, you know, I think he, you can't always go off of, like, what the talent of the team is. I think he has the ability to be good, though. But I, I don't I don't think you could say either way definitively right now, oh, he's going to be a bust or he's going to be a superstar. Yeah, I think it's it's almost a parallel to what we talked about last week with Cincinnati. There's so much organizational challenges. I, I think the thing with Wilson is how young the talent on the team is around him, yeah. right? Their, their veteran core, if you'll call it their core. I mean, they've got uh, Coleman, the running back, who's never had more than 800 yards rushing. Their, tiding, tie, their starting tight end has eight career, I'm sorry, 85 career catches. They don't have a receiver on their roster that's had 80 catches in a season. So it's, they've got a lot of, you know, they got a couple guys. They drafted Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. So I think it's a chance to be a good slot receiver, you know, so they've got some guys that may be pretty good, but they're very young. They don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a superstar around them. And that's a, that's a tough division, right? New England's going to be better. Miami solid. Buffalo's good. Buffalo's heck very good. So I, you know, I, I think the good news for Wilson is the expectations are low, but the bad news is, you know, it's a bad team. So yeah. it, it's it's going to be a challenge. I think the thing with, that he has to do is show what Darnold didn't is have some more uh, more moxie, leadership, vocal, you know, fire, passion kind of deal. Yeah, just be the leader. Has- and I think he's got the charisma. He's got, uh, you know you know, the ability to talk to people. He's done some good interviews. Uh, he seems like a good kid. Yeah. So, and, and he needs to have kind of the um, more of an aggressive mentality. You know, Darnold was more passive, I'll say, um, as, you know, as a leader, as a vocal, at least publicly. I think he needs to be more aggressive because I think you got, you got Sala, who's that way on the defensive side. He's a very vocal, energetic guy. If Wilson can be that way on the offensive side, I think that, sets a you know good foundation for career as they try and build more talent, you know, going into 2022 and the years that follow. Absolutely. 
You know who has some good Jets players? Panthers. Roddy yeah. Anderson, Sam Darnold. We'll see what they can do with it. But yeah. uh oh, also on the Jets side of the football, quick note, uh CJ Mosley will be back this season, former Ravens linebacker. So that'll be, you know, a plus for Robert Saul in his first year there. Maybe give him a little more tools to work with. So that could help out. Um next up, big one. Uh Justin Fields. The question here is, does he become the starter this season? Yeah, I, I think it – I hope Matt Nagy – I guess Matt Nagy hopes he doesn't, right? Because yeah. if, if Fields is ready to start now, I think he goes with Fields. I, I think he knows they've got a good uh, – Nagy knows they've got a good roster. They went to the playoffs last year. I, I think the fact that he's sitting Fields and going with Andy Dalton – love you, Andy Dalton, but at this point in your career, you're going to be a backup the rest of your career, as, at least on good teams – tells me that Fields isn't ready and that he doesn't want to go through the growing pace of Fields. I think Nagy thinks if they go 5-12, and 12, he gets fired. So he's probably going to, you know, hedge his bets, play a little safe. Got to do something. Yeah, he, he, they can't start 2-5. and five. They can't start, you know, 3-8 and eight and limp to a finish. You know, and I, I think uh, Nagy knows he'll be fired if that happens. I think it's mainly the opposite of the Jets situation and that the Bears don't have a bad team. They have a very good team, a very good defense. Um, so there's less wiggle room. And if you throw your starting first round draft quarterback in there, uh, and he doesn't perform, your head gets on the chopping block much faster than a Zach Wilson. Right. And the thing with Nagy is, you know, he obviously came from Kansas City with Andy Reid, so he's whole he's facing the whole thing as well. He got Trubisky, Trubisky stunk with him, and now he's got a chance to retool it. But if he plays Fields, who is very talented, you know, big prospect, and Fields struggles, then Nagy knows the blame falls on him. All right, he's had two chances with two top five picks. You didn't have your guy, and it didn't work. But then you got your guy, and it didn't work. So, Exactly. And especially since, uh, you know, Nagy likes more mobile guys, and the fact he's going away from that with Dalton tells me a lot about where Fields is right now. Speaking of mobile guys, Jalen Hurts, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, does he make the leap? Does he transition? I know this is his second season, so um, is he an NFL caliber quarterback? Yeah, I think the challenge with Philly is the great unknown of their head coaching situation, right? It's We don't know how effective uh, he's going to be in, in that role publicly. He hasn't sounded well at all. In any yeah, way. I'm not a fan necessarily. I, but, I don't have great expectations. So. Yeah, and, and the, the roster is getting a little older. It's not as good as it's been in recent years. I think uh, I think Hertz is going to have a little bit of wiggle room, right? He, he could necessarily even have some bad games and not, you know, be beat down too much. Uh, I think the one concern with Hertz from just his perspective is if Philly goes really bad, then they may be forced to draft a quarterback next year if they have a really high pick, which would obviously be a, a bad situation for him. So he's got um, to perform at least. Yeah, I think he's got to at least show something. Um, but I, mobility I think, does help out bad teams. If you have a mobile quarterback, it can hide a lot of your flaws, I think. so. I think they'll definitely be able to move the ball, to your point, a lot of it with Hertz's legs and playmaking ability. Uh, I think decision-making and accuracy are, is what's going to kill Hurts in the NFL. I think he made a lot of big plays last year. He just had a lot of turnovers and, a, you know, inconsistency towards the end of last season. He's got a whole new, you know, coaching staff and regime, so that makes it hard as well. Um, I'm rooting for him. I think he's a good guy. You know, not rooting for him too hard because he's an eagle, but I, you know, I just don't think it's a good situation for him. But all things considered, uh, hats off to him. Hope he does well, but – uh. It's got an uphill battle with the Philadelphia organization. Their fans are not very forgiving. No. Uh, moving on to our big segment of the show, uh, our, let's say, deep dive topic of the week. Uh, I'm going to let you go first on this one. I know you have a little bit more of a firsthand approach uh, from the college perspective, but when a coach gets their guy, when they get a first round or high draft pick, you know, do they get every opportunity to succeed? Do they get 
the preferential treatment is that like the da- do they get better odds than all the other guys on the team and like do you have any uh insight on that yeah so the answer to your question is undoubtedly yes right and so coaches they are and like anything in any business right because the nfl and college football too is a business they're they're judged heavily on their return on investment right and if they you know if a coach drafts a guy high in the first round or in the second round that's a high level of investment they're going to be graded on their return from that player and if that player doesn't play a lot that coach is signaling to the gm to the owner to the nfl world that hey i screwed up i picked the wrong guy so a lot of coaches aren't going to do that so they'll they'll play a player that may not even be ready to play or may not be that good just because if he plays, it helps justify the pick. So I'll give you an example, right? And this, this happened a lot of times in college. This was my, uh, my senior year. We had, uh, you know, two running backs uh, on the team. Uh, one of them was a veteran guy, been around the block, uh, smart, knew the playbook, hard worker, you know, been in the program for a while. So he, he had grown up, um, good runner, hard runner, good blocker. We, we needed a lot of blocking out of that position with the offense we played. Um, by all accounts, a, a better football player, a certainly week one and, and probably throughout most of the season. Uh, but we had another guy who was a younger guy who had been a higher recruit. Uh, he had been a, a lot of time and money had been put into, you know, bringing him into the school and coaches spending a lot of time coaching him up. And so he actually got this, the, the role, the big play time role, over this other guy. And there's a lot of talk, right? When that happens, you know, you, I'm sure it happens in the NFL, but it definitely happened in college. A lot of talks like, you know, why is, why is that guy playing when this other guy's better? You know, and it, it creates a little bit of an environment where players feel like coaches aren't judging them the way they say they're being judged with this, hey, the tell the tape, how you play, if you, how you play in practice is how much you'll play in the game or how you played, you know, in training camp will, will put you where you are on the depth chart. And that really hurts a lot of, you know, team cohesion and, and team belief in the system. You know, so that happened at that position. It happened in a couple other situations. Uh, and then I'm sure it happens at college. We see it happen in the NFL all the time, you know, where coaches. So like in this case, right, the coach who recruited that higher running back, higher, higher, higher rated running back. If he picks this other guy over him, then he's got to convince the head coach that, hey, the guy I recruited isn't very good. That's a quick way to lose your job. It's so, not a meritocracy no. in the locker room. It's not stats and analytics based. It's uh, justifying my job based. Exactly. Especially in a hyper competitive world of college and football where, you know, coaches get fired and move around all the time in the NFL players get cut and traded all the time. And now in college players transfer all the time. So it's, it's very mobile. It's an extremely mobile profession where, you know, we hear about there being a lot of money and there is at the higher coaching jobs and certainly in the NFL, but a lot of these assistant coaches, you know, in college and in some ways the NFL, based on the hours they work and the commitments they make, it really isn't as much money as you think. So there's a lot of investment to, to building your portfolio, to building a good career, to building a good reputation, because that reputation is what gets you the big jobs. And so they'll play their guys that they highly recruit because then they can sit there and say, hey, look, I recruited this guy. Turns out he's a heck of a player. Look, he started as a freshman. doesn't matter that he stunk as a freshman. No one ever remembers that, right? He's like, oh, I recruited. He was a freshman start. You know, look how good of a recruiter I am. You know, same thing in the NFL, right? It's like, oh, look at this first round pick. Yeah, Yeah, he's a a day one starter. Look how good, you know. Big contributor, day one. Yeah, he's contributing to helping the other team win, right? You know, but. Hey, he's a big contributor. Look how good of a drafter I am. Yeah, I I, I have uh, some experience with that. Um, Baltimore stuck with some guys like Matt Elam for like way too long. He he just wasn't good. He was terrible safety, and he didn't make it anywhere after they left. But they gave him all four years for sure. You know, first round draft pick. Got to show him what he's got. But uh, I did have some examples of kind of what you're talking about more on the NFL level. I think a good one was the 2010 draft. Uh, Antonio Brown picked up in the sixth round by the Steelers. Uh, who was on the other side of the ball that year? Mike Wallace, the number one receiver on that roster. They also had some other talent on there. I think um, I could be wrong, but I want to say it was a, a Emmanuel Sanders was also drafted that year a little bit higher than Antonio Brown. 
but uh just for instance okay that uh first season that 2010-2011 season um mike wallace 16 starts 1200 yards right antonio brown zero starts 167 yards not you know he probably didn't get a lot of playing time fair enough 2011 season Mike Wallace, 16 starts, 1,200 yards. Very consistent. Antonio Brown, three starts, 1,100 yards. That's about 13 less starts than Mike Wallace was getting. I'm sure he played in a lot of those games, but three actual starts, 1,100 yards. And then the next season, everyone had a dip in production, but 15 starts from Mike Wallace the 2012 season, 800 yards, and then uh 10 starts for brown 800 yards so he was consistently outperforming or matching wallace's play with less starts why would you not start this guy more you know he's clearly we know from history he turned out to be a heck of a player his mental game maybe not all there but he was a heck of a receiver and i think if this late round guys got a little bit more of that analytics meritocracy what are you doing we see three starts 1100 yards that screams to me we need to give this guy more playing time well right and and part of what happens you know or at least what i experienced what i observe is that if a player is highly counted if he's a big recruit or or a high draft pick coaches look for things that they do well to to tout for example if they have a good play in practice they love it they're cheering it film studies great if the less highly touted guy has a good play, then Maybe what it is over it. Well, it's not only that they glaze over it. It's because the matchup was favorable, right? If, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if the sixth round, if Antonio Brown has a good rep in practice, like, Oh, cause you're going against had, the threes one that, you know, that's not our top corner. Yeah. Or, or that corner had bad technique. That corner needs to work on his technique, right? It's not, Hey, great play Antonio Brown. It's that corner needs to get better. Whereas, you know, Mike Wallace, using your example, he may have beaten the corner and said, hey, that's a great route, Mike, great hands. Yeah. You know, it's just that different different mindset that these coaches and evaluators can have of talent, you know. And you never know. And it's like uh, two things I heard uh, today, and this leads me into my next example, is uh, Bill Belichick said this, and a couple other guys said this. There isn't a way oh um this was when i watched hard knocks i said this about dak prescott uh there isn't a way yet to appropriately scout out somebody's leadership abilities and heart that uh clutch factor that they have you know uh so a guy like russell wilson in the 2012 draft coming out of nc state uh who is this guy undersized quarterback you know undersized quarterbacks historically don't do well in the nfl uh at the time matt flynn would just got 10 million guaranteed uh seattle obviously is going to stick with flynn over this third round guy russell wilson who is he but we see what happens i think he even goes in to start that season does flynn go down that season i believe no or wilson wins the job he just outright. wins it outright uh and you know, let Russ cook as born. Um, but that just goes to show that if we would give these guys a, a little bit more time, uh, uh, last example being someone who got completely looked over. And if not for, you know, uh, a big injury, they never would have even made it into the league, much less won the Super Bowl that year. But Kurt Warner playing yeah. arena football, you know, bagging groceries, Trent Green goes down, then boom, he goes in and wins the Super Bowl. Super yeah. Bowl MVP. Oh, yeah, and league MVP that year too, a Hall of Famer, right? This guy yeah. was bagging groceries in the NFL Hall of Famer. And the thing is, you know, the, the media and the, the pundits like, oh, what a great story. What a great, you know, example of perseverance. And, and it, uh, perseverance, and it is. But it's never also should have been that way, probably. Never, yeah, the guy's a Hall of Famer. Why was he not starting on an NFL team or at least given more opportunities? And that just goes to show a lot of what we talked about is that because he was not a highly uh, drafted guy. He was undrafted, I believe, or was a very late round pick. Um, 
it, it just wasn't given the opportunities or the coaching or, or even the time of day to show, hey, I can be a good football player. I think it goes to show, and I want to talk about this. Maybe we touch on it in the offseason. I know I brought it up earlier, but scouts, they don't get everything right. Scouting isn't a perfect science. Uh, you can never know what somebody is going to turn out to be. Uh, perfect example is of a guy who is super highly touted and I would say they are very good player, but they're not first overall draft pick type player is a guy like Jadavian Clowney. Uh, Mm -hmm. he comes into the NFL great. You know, he's a great run stopper. He's a performer, but he's consistently getting outperformed by like JJ Watt. Other guys are on the line with him. I know he might give them some more opportunities, but you know, he's not busting off the stat sheets every season. He used the first overall draft pick. You know, he was a superstar at South Carolina. Uh, maybe this whole scouting thing needs to be reworked. Maybe we need to go more analytics based. You know, I think they're really, I talk about this because they're really leaning on it more and more as the years go on uh, with like the fourth down percentages and going for two and just like you see the numbers. Why don't we try it? You know, it's it's seen on paper. It seems like the right answer, and if we try it more and more, it is the right answer. Well, and yeah, to your point, that's why you see a lot of coaches, right? Belichick's famous for this. The Seahawks do it a lot too. Is they just accumulate draft picks, right? Because their whole mantra is they understand that scouting is not exact. It's not perfect. I'd rather get ten shots at finding the right player than just trying to get one or two right players. And if you're a good organization, you can do that. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Rather have, you know, four third-round picks than one first-round pick. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you are, you know, unless you've got all your eggs in one basket and you need something, that's usually the best best plan. Um, I think I'm good on that one. You want to move on to our worst to first? Well, we can, but uh, actually, we, we kind of jumped ahead. I actually try to, you know, we talk about being a big brain show. Um, oh. Wanted to try and stump you here, Miles, with a few questions. Uh, I try forgot. and surprise you a little bit here with a... Maybe with I was trying to avoid it. Um, at the start of our show every week, I think we're going to ping pong back and forth. And uh, I'll, uh, you know, do an ask the expert. We'll see what the expert tries to know about the NFL football-based stuff, and Nick will do a stump the chump and see if he can, uh, you know, make me look stupid. So I am ready. I'm ready. We okay. did. We got too excited, but I am ready. I tell you, it's week one. You can't blame us, right? I just want to talk football. I just want to get into it. Yeah. All right. Speaking of getting into it, all right. So there are two seasons in Tom Brady's career that he wasn't the week one starter. Can you name those two years? Would one of them be the year he got drafted? Yep, that's correct. And is the other one the year he tore his Achilles? He tore his ACL. As he, ACL, is it 2015? So that was 2007. 2007, well, that's a little, a little bit well, off. I'm, I'm sorry, there, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm wrong, you're right. Here's You actually got me, I stunk my own chunk here. He, it wasn't the year he tore his Achilles, you're right, it was 2015. That was Deflategate, that was Deflategate suspension. Ah, okay. So I was right, but wrong. I'll give you that. That's a right one. And can you name his rookie year to get the question 100% right? 2000. Yep, you got it. There you go. All right, next one. Can you name the running back that back in 2017, the season opener, had 246 total yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns to upset the defending Super Bowl champion? So I'll say that again. Name that running back that had 246 yards from scrimmage three touchdowns and upset the defending super super bowl champion week one 2017 season so this is 2017 yep so it would be the 2016 super bowl winner yep that was the year after we got out of college correct um i'm gonna there's a good chance it was the patriots i mean if i throw it at a dartboard um Okay, hint, give me a hint. Was it the Patriots or was it the Eagles? It was the Patriots. 
the episode of the Patriots. Then you said 200, three touchdowns and exactly how many yards? 246. 246 yards. Um, I want to say it was the someone from the Buccaneers, but I don't know. It's Kareem Hunt with the Kansas City Chiefs. Ah, I should have known that one. That was that was the first year he came in, right? Yeah, that was the rookie year, first game ever. Came out of nowhere in Kansas City, upset New England. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so third and final question. This is a good one. In the NFC, there are four quarterbacks that have started every week one since 2016, including I'm, I'm counting 2021, so this season. Okay. Four quarterbacks that have started every week one for the same team in 2016 to 2021. All NFC, four quarterbacks. And I'll give you a hint. There's one in each division. So – and I'll let you name three, three, if you can get three out of the four. So four quarterbacks, one in each division, started every week one for the same team, their own respective team, every year since 2016. So week one, all right. Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Ben Roethlisberger. No, this is NFC. Oh, just NFC. Got oh, just NFC. Aaron Rodgers, um, no one on the Niners. Uh, Russell Wilson. Yep. Okay. Um, not Cowboys. Not definitely not the Eagles. Matt Ryan. Yep. And then the fourth one is gonna be. I'm missing a division in my head. Just let me think one. Uh, I'm not going to get it. Tell me the division. I'll try to guess really fast. NFC East. AFC, NFC East. Yeah. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. So you had it right. It was Dallas and Dak Prescott. Romo goes down the preseason. Dak starts week one. Ah, see, I wouldn't have guessed that one. I wouldn't. Have, I didn't think that. Uh, I forgot that he went down in preseason. But but hey, that's pretty good. Three out of four, and I'll give you two out of the three questions. Good job, Mons. You handled yourself very well there. So uh, we'll we'll see if I what we can ask the expert next week. We'll try to get it in the right spot of the show. But uh, nonetheless, I, those were good. That was fun. It wasn't right. too bad. Um, I I surprised myself a little bit because I didn't really study at all because I, I was told myself like. We're going to study, but there's so much to study. And I was like, you know, and I just remembered some stuff that I didn't think I would remember. Well, it's week one, right? There's only so much practice you can do. You just got to get out there and, you know, start playing the opponent and see how the game goes, right? And yeah. you did a good job. Just got out there and good week one. Big, we can make scramble. A big too, but good week one. So, you know, speaking of Russell Wilson, now segue to our next segment, our, our worst to first segment. Each week for at least, you know, eight weeks, we're going to name one division, this week being the NFC West, and we each will give our rankings. I say we start from the bottom and work up to the top. Uh, Who the worst team is to who the best team is in that division this season, and just very briefly why we think that. Uh, I will go first if you want. I'll I'll start with my last place team and we'll go back and forth. Okay. Sounds good, man. Get after it. Number four, uh, I have the San Francisco 49ers. Uh uncertain QB situation. Uh I think, you know, we don't know who the best person is gonna be. We know who the starter is for right now, but we don't know who the best person's gonna be. They don't really have any star receivers. Uh, I mean, Debo's okay, uh, but n- not like huge weapons. Their running back core surprisingly is gutted. They used to have three guys back there when it was like Hyde, Mostert, and they had another guy as well. But now they really only have Mostert from what I saw earlier. Um, 
But they do have a great front four. Uh, the rest of their defense isn't as good, but their front four is very good. Um, so that's why I have them in fourth place. But there's, I think they're going to be at least an 8-8 eight and eight team. So. Yeah, so my number four, I'm going to kind of similar but different. I'm going with Arizona. And to me, it's a story about organization and coaches, right? The Cardinals organization, outside of the one miracle run a decade or so ago with Kurt Warner, hasn't done much winning at all in, in their history, right? And they're up against Seattle, which obviously has a great short-term history. LA, which has been in the Super Bowl recently. San Francisco, same, been in the Super Bowl recently. So that organization, how to handle winning and overcoming a tough division isn't there. I also tr don't trust Cliff Kingsbury, Arizona's head coach, as much as I trust Mike Shanahan, as much as I trust Pete Carroll, and as much as I trust Sean McVay. So to me, I think Arizona is very talented. They got a lot of great players. I like so much of their roster. It's a brutal division. I think they win seven or eight games. I think they're a decent team. I just think when push comes to shove, the coach organization factor hurts them, and I think they finish last. Some good points, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I had those teams very close. I had Arizona Cardinals at my number three spot. Uh, I say they have a young core on offense and defense, so that's a bright spot for them at least. Uh, on defense, they do have some good veterans. They have J.J. Watt now. They have Chandler Jones on the edges, some strong pass rush. Uh, Isaiah Simmons in the linebacker spot, who could be good. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, Kyler Murray, young guy, he's been decent so far. We got to give him that. And obviously they got DeAndre Hopkins, uh, a good superstar receiver. So that's why I really gave them the edge over the Niners. I think they have a little bit more on both sides of the ball than the Niners do. So that is, I, I have them in my number three spot. I'm thinking they're more of like, well, what is it? 10 and seven or nine and eight or somewhere, somewhere around there. 17 games now. So. Yeah. So my number three kind of inverse of you, I'm going San Francisco. Uh, and that's all, of course, assuming a healthy Garoppolo, right? If Garoppolo is hurt, I think San Francisco is the worst team in this division. Uh, I see San Francisco sneaking into the playoffs as a wild card, probably the final wild card. With, I think they get to 10 wins. I, I think, one thing that we haven't talked about a lot and I really don't think it's talked too much about in the NFL is the X factor that George Kittle is on offense. Yeah. I think we talked about last week about players that can break rules. Kittle is so good of a player that it doesn't matter the rules. He can make big plays. I think he gives them that element on offense. Like you said, their front four is awesome on defense. Don't forget they got Warner at middle linebacker. He's a stud as well. And so Kyle Juszczyk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great fullback. Great X factor. I think. Uh, I think San Francisco wins ten games. I think they sneak into the playoffs as a wild card. I think. And I'll. This is like just a, a total side note. My favorite positions in the NFL are a versatile blocking tight end and a pass catching fullback. Those are like my favorite positions. I love Nick Boyle. I love Kyle Juszczyk. Like two of my favorite players of all time. So. Uh, I also loved Vonta Leach. He was so good. He was just like a bulldozer. But going to the number two, which will obviously reveal my number one. I think we all know. I talked about it last week a lot. Number two, I have Seattle here. Uh, I think on defense, they're lacking from where they were. We all remember the Legion of Boom, Seattle teams of old. Uh, their defense isn't what it used to be. They rely more heavily on their offense. But the offense has Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, two like at least eleven hundred yard receivers. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson, they they're gonna bring it out this season. I don't think they're obviously the best team in the division, but I think they are very very good. Will definitely make it to the playoffs. Yeah, and like you with my pick, uh, I'll reveal my number one by default, and I'm going to L.A. Rams, and I think it's super close, right? I think they, they finished second division by one game, a, a late-season divisional loss, or they lose a tiebreaker. I think I, I think the Rams, they're going to go through some growing pains early with Stafford. I mean, it's a new quarterback. It's, you know, they got a new running back with uh, Sony Michelle, who I'm not sold on, by the way. Bill Belichick doesn't lose a lot of trades. I think he dumps Michelle for a reason. I don't think he's that good anymore. I think LA is a story of age and health, right? 
Cooper Cup's gotten hurt. Their offensive lineman's older and he's gotten hurt more. I, I, I think it's just a matter of can they stay healthy enough in that brutal division to win enough games to win it. I think they make the playoffs definitely. I think they're a really, really good team, but I don't think they win the division, and I think they finish second. Okay. Uh, well, on the other side of that, I obviously have LA Rams number one team in that division. Uh, I I said they were going to make the Super Bowl this year. My my pick for the Super Bowl. Um, top tier defense, game wrecker Aaron Donald. The, you know that that's it for that side of the ball. That's all you need to know. You know, <laughs> great defense, Aaron Donald. Uh, McVay play calling, great play caller. Uh. And then you got Matt Stafford at QB. I can it not quite the success, but a Tom Brady situation in Tampa. A severe, like heavily retooled team that was just a quarterback away from greatness. And that's kind of what I'm seeing a comparison to right now. Uh I I hope I'm I'm expecting it'll be very similar. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're just going to lose out to my number one, which is obviously Seattle. I, I think Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, that is the coach quarterback combination that will, you know, prove to be the best in the division. I think it is the best. It's the most reliable. It's the most consistent. They've been together the longest. You talk about DK Metcalf. I think he continues to grow. I think he becomes a top 10 wideout in the NFL. I think the defense is a little bit better than people give it credit for. I don't think it's a great defense, but I think it's good. I think one hidden factor is Seattle is a really tough place to play. Fans are back. Crowds are back. I think that makes it a big difference, and I think that's why Seattle wins the division. And I think that's one of the reasons why they make a run in the playoffs as well, because going to Seattle is going to be tough, and I think Seattle is going to ride that momentum. And, uh, you know, going back to our previous segment of our first-round thing, Another reason why I'm not a great analyst. Uh, everyone, you remember when they drafted DK Metcalf and everyone's like, oh, a straight line, he's a Greek god built from stone, straight line speeds off the charts, his vertical is huge, but his three-cone drill is so slow. All right, yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, this is going to be his downfall. We are all wrong, so I'll admit it. Uh, I, I was like, yeah, the three-cone drill, that, that's why he's going to be bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so silly to think about, right? Because it... it you see it sometimes, whether it's like the bench press or the vertical leap or, or some other metric that, that oh, like Tyron Matthew, he only got two reps on bench because uh, yeah. he took the whole season off. Who cares well, how much he can bench? He's obviously a great player. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely. It's, you know, show me the tape, show me how they play, you know, sh- show me their leadership, show me their heart, show me their intelligence. And that'll get you 90% of the way there. Oh yeah. But I think that leads us perfectly into our, next segment uh what we love to do on the show is either be your confirmation bias you know agree with what you agree with or have you come this is the place where we say all the wrong things and you can just like hey watch us i mean what i mean what other option do you need so uh we're also each week we will have a weekly top five most likely going to be position based uh this week top five wide receivers and we have a little special maybe number six undervalued player we threw in at the end um do we want to start from six and work our way up again yeah i think it'll be a little harder to guess this time yeah definitely let's start at our honorable mention underrated and work our way to the number i'll let you start cool yeah so my honorable mention underrated i think it's mike evans in tampa Right. Here's the thing that people forget about Mike Evans. He's had seven straight thousand yard receivers, thousand yard receiving seasons every year since he's entered the NFL. It's never been done before. He's had three seasons with 10 plus touchdowns. He's done it with Winston and Kirk Cutter. He's done it with Winston and Bruce Arians. Now he's done with Brady and Bruce Arians. Look, the guy's been productive no matter what system he's in. He's a big guy, a lot of talent, puts up the yards, catches in the touchdowns. I think he's lost a little bit in the shuffle because it's Tom Brady and some of the other hype that goes around it. But I think he's a really, really underrated receiver. And he's done it coupled with on the other side. Uh, Godwin yeah. has been there, so they've both been productive. Yep. And then, uh, you know, Brady, I don't remember what the guy's name was, but small, 
undersized white slot receiver that Brady liked to throw to all last season. Um, so that could be one of 50 people that have played with Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, you know, name, name them. Uh, um, remember, switch them. Uh, my number six pick, Calvin Ridley, Atlanta. Uh, last year, I did a little stats uh, next to mine, but last year, 90 receptions on 143 targets. He's got 1,374 receiving yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, I think he did a great job last season. I think he's the heir apparent to the Julio Jones era in Atlanta. Uh, I think that, you know, him coupled with my offensive rookie of the year, Kyle Pitts from Florida, going to be a huge dynamic receiving resurgence in Atlanta and uh, something to watch out for. I think he's a very, very good player. Yeah, I think I think he's certainly the productivity, right? Playing with Matt Ryan, he's going to get a lot of catches and yards. So I think he... I think that's a that's a fair choice. I think I'm going to go to my top five. I'm going to go Devontae Adams. I mean, legitimate superstar, no doubt about it. Led the NFL in touchdowns last year. He's been very productive with Aaron Rodgers. But the thing with Devontae Adams, right, he's very obviously the Scotty Pippen, the Aaron Rodgers, Michael Jordan. The thing holding him back is if Aaron Rodgers is his quarterback, I mean, what is he really? Like, how productive could he be? How impactful could he be? And to Devonta Adams' credit, he knows this. That's why he signed a short-term deal right after Rodgers came back and or announced he was going to come back. Uh, all that being said, I think he's a great receiver, very, very valuable football player in the red zone, in between the 20s. I think he's a great receiver. I think he's uh, the number five guy in the NFL. All right, my number five uh... – might be a little bit of a hate pick here, but I had to include him on the list. I'm not a huge fan of his uh, personal life, but he's a great football player. I have Tyreek Hill, Kansas City, as my number five guy. Uh, 87 receptions on 135 targets. He's obviously got the blazing speed. Uh, 1,276 yards, 15 touchdowns. He's obviously a good player. Obviously, it's almost, I will piggyback off what you say. It's, you know... The Pippin to Jordan of Patrick Mahomes, you know, uh, he he's in a great Andy Reid offense. He has all other kinds of weapons around him. It's not, you know, they're not starving for talent over there. I think he thrives in the environment and takes advantage of it, but he is a, definitely a top five receiver. Yeah, so uh, moving down the list with me, I think uh, number four, I'm going with uh, – Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. And, you know, he's obviously had some productive years in Minnesota, but what he did last year in Buffalo was amazing. He helped Josh Allen take the leap from, is he going to be the franchise quarterback to a legitimate MVP and superstar in this league? Uh, Diggs led the NFL in both catches and receiving yards, extremely productive, great team guy, helped take Buffalo to an AFC championship game. You know, sorry to say they beat Baltimore in divisional round of the playoffs. I think this is a good team. I think it's a really good situation with Diggs. He's shown to be a great fit, and I think he's he's really coming to his own and will continue coming to his own in Buffalo. Baltimore's plan is we let you beat us in the playoffs, and then we beat you the next year. So, like, we figure you out, like, Chargers, then you got Titans. Now the Bills are our next hurdle, and we just need to work our way up there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, I definitely agree with you. I also have Stefan Diggs in my number four spot. Uh, so I'm not going to touch on it too, too much, but, you know, great stats, 127 receptions on 166 targets, 1,535 yards, eight touchdowns. You know, didn't have a lot of help out there. You, you know he's the guy. Uh, he's probably getting double, triple covered, and he's, you know, doing it, and he's a Maryland guy. So uh, do you know his college story at all? Uh. He was a superstar kick returner, uh, slot receiver from Maryland. He he broke his leg in college, uh, and it really kind of hampered him. I think he actually broke his leg twice. He got hurt twice, and it really hurt him coming out of college, but I always knew that he was going to be a good guy. I always knew he was going to be good. I watched him a lot. All my family watches Maryland-based football, so uh, it's very interesting. So. Who do you got for th- number three? So number three, I go Tyree Kill, right? I think you and I both agree here. He is one of the most dynamic weapons in the NFL. I think in the AFC, he's the second most valuable non-quarterback behind Derrick Henry. 
what he does with that Kansas City offense is incredible. He puts the fear of God into defenses just because he has the ability to just take the top off. And he's, you know, we've had players in the NFL like Deshaun Jackson who can catch one 60-yard touchdown and break a team's back. Tyree Kill can do it three times in a game. Or a jet sweep for 103 yards. Exactly. Like, he is that dynamic. I think the only reason he's not two or one is because he doesn't have to make the possession catches over the middle, the third and eight kind of grabs, you know, because he's in that Kansas City offense. I think there's no doubt his explosiveness. There's no doubt his playmaking ability and his value to that team and to the league. All right. My number three guy, DK Metcalf. Seattle uh, got 83 receptions on 129 targets, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. Great player, you know, almost another Tyreek Hill type guy, but he's a little bigger, a little bit more physical, can maybe get those more contested catches. He's got a lot of height on him, got a lot of size on him. Obviously, he's got a lot of speed on him. Uh, I'd like to see those two race one day. I think that'll be interesting. Um, But... He's just an overall great receiver. He does have a great quarterback and a great offense, great coach, but he's I think he's a great player. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think number two for me is Julio Jones. I mean, this is a guy that finished the top three in receiving yards for six straight years from 2019 back. Last year was hurt, so he didn't get to pile up the stats. But, you know, he's been a very productive guy in his career. He's been a big play guy. He's big, strong, fast. He's made clutch plays, too. People forget, even though Atlanta lost in the Super Bowl, he had numerous big plays, especially down the stretch. I think he's a big impact guy. I think it's a great fit in Tennessee. I think he's going to give him that extra advantage to put Tennessee in the Super Bowl, like I predicted last week. I think he's, you know, as weird as it sounds, as big of a star as he is, I think he's actually a little underrated. He's kind of a quiet, very team guy. Doesn't need 200 catches or 200, you know, reception targets for touchdowns. He doesn't need any of that. He just wants to win. He has the ability to help Tennessee. I think he's a great player. I think it's a great fit for Tennessee. I would agree. Julio is great. I do not have him in my number two slot, though. I do have DeAndre Hopkins, Arizona. Uh, I think... We all know how great he is. Uh, we saw him on the Texans, immediately came over to Arizona, produced again with a young quarterback, 115 receptions on 160 targets, 1,400 yards, six touchdowns, great hands, great catches, huge length, huge reach, great, great separation. I think he's just a phenomenal receiver. Yeah, he is. And, you know, I, I, I think having a number two is really smart on your part, Mize. So good credit for you. I think the one thing that you're really dumb is you weren't as smart as me putting him at number one. I think Hopkins is unbelievable. I think he has the ability for short. I think he has the ability for intermediate, the ability to go over the top and win jump balls. You saw the, the Hale Murray to beat Buffalo last year. He's extremely productive. Here's some great stats for you. He averages in his career now more receptions a season then the best nine-year stretch of Larry Fitzgerald, more than Calvin Johnson, and more than Julio Jones. I mean, these are Hall of Famers that he's beating in yeah. terms of production. He's make He does it all. He did it in Houston. He did it in Arizona. It doesn't matter the quarterback. It doesn't matter the organization. He puts up catches. He makes big plays. Hopkins is a great player, number one receiver in the league. Now, like I said, we, we come to hate us. He come to love us. Confirmation bias. Green Bay, I got your back. I have Devontae Adams as my number one guy. And here's why, okay? 115 receptions, 149 targets, 1,374 yards. Those are great numbers. You know, not the highest, but those are great. But like we said, he has nobody else on the team. Who is Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Who are these other guys that are on the ball? Like, you got put your entire nickel and every corner safety you have on the guy. You know, he's making the plays. Obviously, he's got Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball. Big thing that jumps off the paper to me, his red zone presence and his touchdown conversion ability, 18 touchdowns this past season. You know, what more can you ask a guy to do? hes a, I don't think he's a diva. I don't think that he has too big of a head. I think he's a pretty good, hardworking guy. I just think he's a great receiver. Uh Obviously, he's in both of our top five. So, I mean, any of those guys can really move up and down. There can be arguments for either of them. 
But uh, I think Devontae Adams is a great player, and I think that he can do all the things that he needs to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I ha- had him at number five. I think, uh, you know, credit to both of us, Mize. Those are good lists. I, uh, I challenge anybody else to come up with two better lists at yeah. the same time during a show. So good on us. Good and just so us. everybody knows, we don't tell each other who we're picking at all. You know, all of our we, we pick the topics and we each come up independently. So if we match on some stuff, it's purely by accident because great minds think alike. Exactly. So uh, great minds obviously think opposite into the top five on this one. But hey, there we go. That is our top five slash six. Uh, receivers in the NFL this year. I'll go through my list one through six really quick. Again, we had Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, DK Metcalf, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Calvin Ridley as my number six underdog sleeper type guy. Yeah, in mine, one to six, you got DeAndre Hopkins at one, Julio Jones at two, Tyreek Hill, the weapon at three. You've got Stephon Diggs at four. You've got... um, Devontae Adams from Green Bay at five. And to wrap it all off, we've got Mike Evans as my underrated guy at six. And Evans is a great player, you know. Um, now into our weekly pick em segment. We have uh, three marquee games, and we each have picked what we think is our sleeper, underdog, game of the week, game to watch. So um, how about this? I'll get us started on the Packers and the Saints. Uh, I'll let you chime in after. Then you take over on the Browns and the Chiefs, and I'll chime in on that. And then I'll get us started on Colts, Seahawks, and I think you have a little bit more on that one than I do. And uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good, man. All right. Our first game of the week, game to watch, Packers-Saints is going to be a good one. Um, I'm going to go over highlights for both teams and then I'm going to tell you who I think is going to win. I'm not going to give you a score or anything because I'm not crazy. I can't predict the future, but, uh, the saints have again, one of the strongest defensive units in the NFL, uh, with cam Jordan, Quan Alexander, they got the Mario Davis, Malcolm Jenkins, and then Marshawn Lattimore back there making plays. Uh, it's a top tier unit. Obviously, it's gotten them very far in the playoffs many, many years. They've gotten robbed a few times as well. Um, But coupled with that, they've got Jameis, who isn't terrible. But they also have Alvin Kamara, their superstar running back. And they have a pretty strong O-line. The only thing they're missing is their superstar wide receiver, Michael Thomas. I think once he comes back, they're going to be way up there. But uh, it's a strong, strong team. Very strong team. The Packers offense, you know, they have a star-studded cast of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones, the running back, we really haven't talked much about him. He's very good. Uh, And then Devontae Adams, everyone else so-so on the offense. But it's a good, you know, one, two, three. Uh, It's enough, obviously, to get the job done. It's gotten them very far in the playoffs as well. Uh, but that defense is pretty strong as well, uh, especially up front and at the very back in their safeties and one of their corners. Uh, Zadarius Smith, somebody who I miss dearly, great pass rusher. Uh, at the corner, they got Jair Alexander, very good corner. And then to cap off the safeties, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, two dynamic safeties to kind of help cover the back end i think both teams look good i do think the loss of michael thomas and Jameis winston getting up to speed with first team reps going through this battle is going to be too much for the saints to overcome i have the packers winning this one yeah i i think that's that's all fair i think you know, this kind of comes across to me. I, I have more of a high-level approach. This is kind of a screw-you game for Aaron Rodgers, right? He's faced a lot of the criticism, or at least the conversation this offseason. I think he wants to come out. He wants to come out early and often. I see Green Bay coming out, taking a quick, you know, running 14, it up, fourteen nothing, twenty-one to three lead. You know, Winston. You know, obviously they got a new quarterback uh, situation with Winston. 
I think New Orleans is going to be slow out of the gate. They're going to try and figure themselves out. Figure themselves out. I think they probably have a turnover or two. Green Bay comes out strong. That being said, I think New Orleans battles back and makes it somewhat competitive. But I think Green Bay wins comfortably here. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a double-digit win for Green Bay. So I'm going, I'm going Packers by probably double digits. One other point that I would like to bring up as a negative for the Saints, okay? We talked about this last week. I actually went to the eye doctor this morning. I asked about LASIK. He said, I quote, It's not as much as it's cracked up to be. You get the scarring around the corneas and those bright lights. You get a little bit more halo effect from bright lights, especially driving at night. Maybe those stadium lights are a little bit too bright for Jameis. And I, he does have to you know, deal with the halo around Aaron Rodgers, right? So that's yeah. kind of a double win. Aaron Rodgers does look a little bit like Jesus nowadays. His, his hair has gotten quite long. So. Yeah, I mean, it's... What do you got? Browns versus Chiefs. Yeah, so I think for me, uh, you know, there's so much temptation to go Cleveland. I think Cleveland's a dark horse team to make a playoff run. Baker's going getting better as he gets older. They got a lot of offensive talent. They got a lot of defensive talent too, right? We all know about Miles Garrett. You know, we all know about Denzel Ward. You know, they've got a lot of people returning. Bunch of killers but, out there. Hey, they, you know, they had a really good season last year. They actually had Kansas City in a close one, you know, at Kansas City that they almost pulled off. I just go back to the fact that Patrick Mahomes in his three starts, week one starts, he's thrown 10 touchdowns. He's thrown zero picks. He is deadly efficient at home. He's deadly efficient week one. I think it just becomes too much firepower for Cleveland to overcome. I think Cleveland gives a good fight. I just don't think they can quite hang enough and make enough plays. I think Kansas City wins pretty high scoring game. I'll uh, do the less sophisticated approach as you did for the Packers. I think what we really need to remember here is the Browns are going to Brown and they just do it all the time. Uh, They're a strong team. They're a tough team to play against. But when the bright light shines the brightest, they seem to falter. They can't put it all together. You know, how many years? I obviously being in the AFC North as a Ravens fan, how many years have we heard, okay, uh, the Browns are going to be the next Super Bowl contenders this year. Is oh, they're, they're there. They're there. Oh, they got Odell now. They got Jarvis Landry. They've got 18 running backs that are all top first-round draft picks. Like, how many more times do we need to hear this? So I'm, I'm, you know, they're just going to screw it up their own way. It'll be special. It'll be a game to watch. Yeah, definitely be entertaining. What do you I, think of uh, Colts and uh, Seahawks? Uh, I don't have a lot on this one, but it's actually pretty simple. You don't have a quarterback for the Colts. You have an okay defense for the Colts. And then the Seahawks have Russell Wilson Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. I think uh, it's probably an early blowout for the Seahawks. Uh, I think they take it pretty easily. Yeah, I I think a theme of what my approach, you talk about this show and and, and in general with football, right, is coach quarterback organization, right? And I think the Colts have a good organization. I think they got a good coach, but I think they're new with the quarterback, right? They've got the issues, the health issues, and trying to get all that squared away. Seattle's rock solid in all three. I think the Colts will figure it out as the season goes on, but I think this is just early. Seattle's kind of got all the, you know, they got all the returning. They've got the momentum. They've got the familiarity. I, I agree with you. I think this kind of feels like a, you know, a, a 27 to 10 kind of blowout game where, where Seattle and Russell Wilson look really, really good. I think, I think Seattle wins comfortably here. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, I will cover my game of the week, and then I'll let you get to yours. Sounds good, man. We could have picked the the same one. I don't think so. But this one's kind of a shocker. Just bear with me here, okay? And I truly think this is going to be a good game to watch. LA Chargers versus the Washington football team. Okay? And hear me out. The Chargers offense looks pretty good this year. You got a young... Justin Herbert, great, great year last year. Great quarterback. You've got Austin Eckler at the running back who can do it all if he stays healthy. Obviously, he's going to be healthy for week one. So, you know, we're just talking about one week here. 
Uh, you got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, dual threat at, you know, your wide receivers here. And I think that it could be enough firepower to get past Washington. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the Washington team, their highlights here, monster, monster front four on defense. Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, monster front four. As well, you got Landon Collins lurking back there, playmaker in the secondary. Uh, you know, they also are getting star cornerback Kendall Fuller back. Uh, they, I know he went off, I believe he went to the Bears for a while or something. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Do you know? Well, he's back yeah. in Washington. They jumped at the chance to get him back wherever he had gone. Uh, this unit is a very tough unit um, of... One thing that I will say negative about each. The Chargers are missing Hunter Henry this year. They don't have a steadfast tight end. Uh, the Washington football team don't have a steadfast quarterback. I don't want to disrespect Fitzmagic. But, you know, I'm not saying that's necessarily a drawback. We just got to see if the Magic is still alive. I believe. I believe. And while both teams are young and they have a lot of strong points, I think the Washington football defense and Fitzmagic will be just enough to stifle the Chargers. But I think this will be possibly a pretty high-scoring game. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement. So I think it's a game to watch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I will say mine is also probably more of a shocker. And I don't want to ram my predictions down, down your throat. But you're gonna have to bear with me here. I'm thinking the Bears go into LA and beat the Rams and upset the Rams. And here's why: Matt Stafford and with has played zero snaps in this preseason. I think there's gonna be a little bit of a learning curve. It's a slow start. Both teams have a great defense. Andy Dalton taking care of the football. You know, this could be a game that couple turnovers, couple big plays on special teams. This is gonna be a slugfest. Don't be surprised if you look up Sunday uh, Sunday night at midnight and Chicago beats L.A. 20 to 17. But we forget this is an L.A. Rams team that lost to the Jets last year. This is a team that can lose defensive struggles. They have they've had offensive inconsistencies at times. I think Stafford will get better as the year goes on, but I don't think he starts that way. I think they're going to have to feel it out a little bit. I think Andy Dalton knows how to manage he kind of, these kind of games and situations and does a great job. No one's expecting Chicago to come in, I don't think. And I think they do a really, really nice job, a really good game plan. And I think they upset the L.A. Rams 20-17. to 17. I do love Bears, personally, as an animal. So I can get behind this pick. Um, I, think, I, think we're, I think we're going somewhere. I I do think that the Rams are going to be a great team this season. I do think like the Buccaneers were last year, they might be slow starters. You know, by week five, week six, they're starting to put it together. People are going to doubt them early. Don't sleep on them though, but I do think this is very, very possible. And I give the pick my stamp of approval. I agree with you. I think it's very, very possible. But um, good. I think that was. I think those were some some good takes. I think yeah. it was another great show, Nick. Uh, we are at our hour mark. Um, I think, you know, some good stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see you this weekend. We're going to give everyone, we will give you a full recap. That'll be one of our segments. When we get back, we'll give you our recap of the Jets versus Panthers game. We're going to be there live watching it in person. Fans are back. We wanted to be back week one. And uh, what better way to do it is together. So, all right. We will see everyone next week. Any final words, Nick? Just excited for this weekend, excited for week one, and uh, ready for the NFL season. Let's go. All right. We'll see everyone next week.